everybody to the mastermind meeting for Friday, May 14th, 2021. That's when we're recording this for you. And with us today are me, your resident slave, uh, Richard Clear, the, uh, your sponsor and all that good stuff. Um, Mark Mashad in um, Michigan, and I'll let him tell you what parts. Hi, uh, yeah, I'm in uh, Midwest Michigan, which would cover like Grand Rapids and Lansing side of the state. Welcome, welcome. Philip Chan in Columbus, Georgia. Hello, all. Welcome, welcome. Art Don in the Washington, D.C. area. I'll let him tell you where. Hi, everyone. I'm in Greenbelt, Maryland. That's about 12 miles east of Washington, D.C. Welcome, welcome. Uh, Ty Talbert in Colton, California, <clears throat> and a couple other places he'll tell you about. Hello, everyone. I teach in the Inland Empire in Riverside, Colton, and Redlands. Welcome, welcome. And uh, da, 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 Art, no, the Art, we already said. Chris Walsh in Maine. I'm going to let him tell you what parts. Hello, everyone. I'm in uh, Hollowell, Maine, just outside of Augusta, Maine. Welcome, welcome. And uh, da, 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 da. Harry Legg in Verona, New Jersey, outside of New York City. You got it. Hello, hello. Thank you, Sifu. Welcome, welcome. Jim Kelly in Boca Raton, Florida. Said a little beach community halfway between Palm Beach and Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> yep. And anywhere else you got classes going on down there? I know you've had different ones. Yeah, we, we pick up different classes, different areas, uh, you know, Delray Beach and Coral Springs. But right now we're focusing on Boca Raton. Boca Raton. Welcome, welcome. Matt Holker here in Maryville, Tennessee, outside of Knoxville. Hi, everybody. Uh, sorry, I'm fighting off a bit of a bug today, but happy to join us, to join the group. Hey, Sifu, why don't we teach it somewhere cool sounding like the Inland Empire? That's what I'm saying. We got to come up with it, <laughs> right? Welcome, Matt. <laughs> Ooh, I meant that differently than it sounded. Anyways, <laughs> the, uh, let's see here. Uh, Sheila Bell in Costa Rica, and I'm going to let her tell you what parts. So, Matt, how about Tropical Paradise? Do you like the way that sounds? I'm in the uh, northern Pacific region of Costa Rica called Guanacaste. And I teach classes in Laveria, in Playa del Poco, and in Playa Panama. Welcome Good to be on. here. Um, I, you know, we teach, we teach in the Great Smoky Mountains um, that has, like, only you can stop forest fires and other such things going on. Uh, so the, uh, uh, yep. That's right. The, uh, or I should say the great smoky mountain. Yeah, you get the idea. All right. So did I miss anybody? Okay. Good deal. Um, so today's topic is teaching methods and learning and hearing different voices and uh, thoughts about the same subject matter, kind of subject matter, and that kind of thing. Before we get into that, a uh, quick word from our sponsor, the uh, 
and we're getting ready for the clear Tai as we as we're recording this we're getting ready for the clear Tai Chi International Family Gathering that'll be June 4th through 6th this year and then it'll be that first weekend full weekend of June in 2022 um, as well the uh and if you want to know more about that then you could go to taichigathering.com and that's on there right there's going to be a lot of information about that and then um with that if you want access to some of this materials and some of this information and instructional materials and videos and online videos and dvds and that kind of thing or the free practical guide to internal power then go to clearmartialarts.com and you will find all of that. Okay, uh, so teaching methods um, that were, were you gonna say something with that, Matt? Nope. Oh, up. I mean, I, it's it's gonna be a blast. I'm looking forward to it. It's right oh. around the corner, so um, chances are that uh, you know if you're if you're hearing this podcast by the time it comes out, it's probably going to be uh, too late for you to come to the first annual one. But we're going to do them every year, and so uh, so look for 2022 um, or 2023 or whenever you happen to hear this podcast. Look for the you know the next uh, Clear Tai Chi ga family gathering because uh, it's going to be awesome. This first one already has you know a, a pretty sizable registration, a great teaching roster. I'm looking forward to a lot of the presentations that I've seen um, just from the, just from the little descriptions that I've seen of them. I'm already looking forward to it. So I think it's going to be a blast. Um, and I think it's going to be a blast every year. So check it out, taichigathering.com. And then if you can't make it, or if it's just far enough away where you want to get started some other way, uh, like Sifu said, the practical guide is always available at clearmartialarts.com too. Cool. The, uh, okay, so uh, we want to get into the different kinds of teaching methods. And so I'm going to list off a number of them. And then there may be other ones that you use or that you like or that you've experienced. Um, and one of the things that I used to use for criteria when I had somebody that said, oh, man, I've studied from 20 people in depth, you know, 20 different senior masters over the course of the last 20, 30 years, if I thought they were full of it, but maybe there was something about their story that wasn't quite true. What I would do is go, okay, so list off to me half a dozen different ways that teachers hide information. And if they went, what? How, how they hide information, huh? I'd be like, okay, you didn't study from that many people. Because if you did in the Chinese martial arts, certainly in the Tai Chi and the Qigong, you would know a bunch of ways that people hide information because you would have experienced, I've experienced over 15 ways that that could be done, that I could name. Okay, and so with that, that's sort of the negative take on it. Here's the positive take. There are different teaching methods and there's different strengths, you know, pluses and minuses to each one and, um, and all of that. So one of the methods, the most, one of the old methods actually is monkey see, monkey do. You know, you, you, I do this, you follow me, you do what I'm doing. And uh, I've studied from several teachers where that was their primary method and they don't tend to tell you a lot um, on the internal art side, that can be a tough method because you're trying to figure out what they're doing inside their body that you're feeling stuff outside and outside doesn't look like they're doing anything. And so you have to really build up great ting, great sensitivity to do that on the internal methods. Now, if it's an external art, throw a punch, 
move like this, move like that, then as long as they're really wanting you to get it and taking their time, um, it's not a terrible way. You do feel like you got two left feet and that you're half blind and everything else when you start typically, but it gets, well, as soon as you get past that beginning part and start doing that, for most things that you can visually see and duplicate, um, it actually tends to be a decent method, at least to a, to a, to a certain point. Um, another one is explaining, another method, is explaining in deep detail in PhD terms that makes people's heads swim and really being very cerebral about it. That method, if you've got the right crowd, can be okay. The problem with it being that typically people come out with a good philosophy understanding and not such a good actual ability and, and ability to use it and ability to apply it. That tends to be missing in that group of people because um, they've been thinking about it very deeply, but that's different than doing it. Um, and then there are times where you want that kind of education, especially if you've already had a bunch of the other kind and you're trying to get a deeper understanding, then that can help as long as the term being used aren't about, you know, if I've got a high school education and somebody's using master degree level terms and they're not defining those terms, I'd be sitting there half the time going, I don't know what he just said or she just said, right? Um, the, uh, uh, but if you're ready for it and the language is appropriate to what you're understanding and or you're getting definitions on terms and beginning to understand how those terms relate and what they are, it can be a way to, again, further your understanding and the depth of your understanding and ability then hopefully in the art. Uh, using another method is using, and if there's any point where any of you have a commentary on one of these methods, please, by all means, speak, you know, me, me, say it, and I'll, I'll definitely bring you in here. I'm going to bring you in at a certain point. I am trying to get through these, but if there's something about one of them that you're going, oh, let me tell you something about that, then by all means, jump in here. All right. Another method, and it's one I like to use a lot, is metaphors. And I like to make those metaphors based on things that people do on a daily basis. Now, the good or bad news is I have a tendency when I, if something has to do with the way that you would use the bathroom, I'll tend to use that one as an example because I figure everybody does it. Uh, and so then at least that people can relate to some degree. If it's how to take on and take off your shirt or your, or your shoes or your, or you, how the way you might comb your hair or the way that you wave bye-bye or the way that you do very common things. And I'll be like, do like that. Uh, one of my favorite things for brushing is, hey, let's all go that way, you know, in terms of the idea that it goes left before right and right and then back to, so goes to the left and then goes back to the right. And I'll do that. So you're leaning over there to get everybody's attention. Hey, over here, let's all go that way. And now you're going the other direction. And it doesn't mean everybody looks great when they first do it, but it's at least trying to make the material relatable and that kind of thing. Of course, the problem with the method can be that people go um, like, I don't do that, or I don't do that the way you're talking about it. And so I can't relate to it very well. And so then you have to use a different metaphor and that happens um, when I'm teaching that sometimes. So then I have to figure out on the spot, okay, I got to relate to you a different way somehow in, in doing that. Um, <clears throat> another method is making people do activities that will cause them to do correct things without them knowing they're doing it. 
and not because you're trying to hide it, but just because if I can get you to do some simple activity again and again and again, paint the fence, sand the floor, you know, this kind of a thing. <clears throat> and for my teacher, Uncle Bill, they started him with the Chinese masters when he was five years old. And the way that they got him to do stuff uh, to beginning in the beginning to really work his, uh, uh, his internal Qigong was they got him pulling elephant grass up out of the ground. And they did that so that he had to squat. He had to keep his body straight up and down in order to have any physical strength on pulling that elephant grass. And then when he stand up, so it gave him a version of like wall squat power that he got because he was doing this, pulling the elephant grass in that way. And it got it so that it made him from being very sick, which he was as a child, to being very, very strong and healthy because he was doing this practice. Versus if they told the five-year-old, hey, we really want you to do these squats. We really want you to do them this way so that the energy will move up your kidney meridian. That is the one that's go that the energy is being worked in in this kind of a posture with the wall squatting, he would have been like, not that much into doing it and or been like, I don't know what you're talking about, you know, and, and however a five-year-old's gonna say that to you, but it would have been tough. But by having him pull the elephant grass, he was, he was automatically in the position, it was the strongest position to be able to do that properly and it built him up in the way that they were trying to build him up. And so a really simple exercise that did a lot. And then they gave him other simple exercises to do like that in order to get him to do the things that were appropriate for his body and health and then the martial art. Wall squatting is a way when you can tell a lot of people to do squats and they'll do a bend over. Wall squatting, which we teach in our curriculum, I don't have people going and pulling it, oh my grass. But we do the wall squats and then that keeps you in that same kind of a positioning. It doesn't let you come forward and go and break form or position um, because the wall's not gonna let you do that. And so, um, and it helps people then to run that Qigong the proper way and they don't have to know a whole lot to do it other than they do have to actually work at being able to do the squat with their feet up against the wall, facing the wall. And when you're first doing that, for most people, even little kids, it's a chore. You have to basically be able to relax through your system properly while still using that strength at the same time. Sounds like Tai Chi, I hope. Um, in order to get that energy to move for really giving you the health benefits that that particular practice can give. Um, anyway, so you make them do activities that causes them to do correct things. Um, and the activities are not necessarily easy but they're not complicated in terms of what you have to know, that they're very simple to pick up. Uh, simple, but not necessarily easy. All right. So then um, another method is letting people feel what is happening inside your body, inside, like if I'm teaching inside my body. Most Tai Chi masters will not let people put hands on with them because they know that if they get somebody that's had that's even an intermediate player that really has that level of knowledge that if you can put hands on them and feel them doing things, you will be able to figure out more about what's going on and start doing a bunch of that stuff. And so they don't let people put hands on with them. They're like, no, no, you do it with each other. You cannot, and they won't let people touch them unless it's somebody they're really trying to convey the information to. And there is a method of teaching called direct transmission and that and there's a number of things involved in that. One of them is putting hands on the body and letting you feel stuff going on. 
there's other parts to it, including um, the mind intent and the way that it is projected and used in order to convey to the other person. Um, with that, another teaching method there is teaching people how to feel, teaching them to feel inside, building up that sensitivity, that ting, and really how to use it and uh, making sure that they are using it and making sure that they're reaching, that they're building more and more skill that way. We use that in our system a lot. We are probably the senior people in the world, Tai Chi wise, for doing this and doing that with everyone who comes into our system. Uh, most, most of these schools, they do not really emphasize that or let even really let anybody do it until they're an indoor student and then and then whatever limitations they have that for somebody to be an indoor student um a lot of times maybe it's just family members only or it's family members and a few select other people and that kind of thing and those people get to learn that and everybody else not um and it makes a big difference um the uh, there's a number of schools out there where you feel the students they don't have anything you feel the teacher and they've got something and you find out who the inheritor is going to be they'll have it what's going on is this kind of thing. They're teaching them how to feel. They're letting them put their hands on everybody else. Not so much. The, uh, anyway, teaching people to feel and helping them to get better and better at that sensitivity, at that tinging, um, like that. Another method is spending lots of time on the mechanics and principles to the exclusion of other things, like doing the long form, taking however long it takes, two, three years to learn the long form, and then doing the long form again and again and again for years and years. Um, I'm not a fan of this method and I feel it is very outdated and it doesn't work very well in today's society. People don't have the patience to put in 10 years before they start getting, you know, the only benefit they're getting out of systems like that most of the time is that they're getting up off the couch and doing a physical activity until they start really getting taught or until they've started to hit on things. And then even then it tends to come slow because prior to that, they're still doing it very much in an external kind of a way. And Tai Chi is very much about getting those internal skills. We keep doing the form. You have to start focusing on the inside. You start reading on it. But it takes the average person 10 years to get where our average one student is in terms of internal ability. And they're lucky at the 10-year mark if they've got what our serious one-year student has in terms of internal ability. We have experienced it with like 20-year people not having what our, our students have in one year when they're really working on the internal. And it's a shame. I, don't, I think it's not really a good training method um, for those reasons. And it's a way to waste people's time. And in today's society, people are just going to go do, you know, they're going to be doing that for a couple, three years where they're doing form, 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 form. I'm not getting these internal skills that I'm seeing the master do, like none of it. And they're not going to stay around a lot longer because there's just so much more that occupies their time and, and that's going to um, call them and that they're going to be able to get more benefit out of and hopefully clear Tai Chi where you really are, where we're really focused on that um, internal skills and where we are working on, I'll just sell you our mission statement there. The mission of Clear Tai Chi is to fuel a revolution in Tai Chi instruction based on the pursuit of function and internal skills, not choreography or philosophy. We seek principles and methods that produce internal power. 
not just more techniques and sets. We aim to inspire a deeper appreciation of Tai Chi by making the closed door inner circle secrets of the art available to all of our students, our students who are actually studying the system. Anyways. They're, if they're kind of a looky-loo, we'll give you a little bit, but it's gonna be our level one kind of stuff, which has still got a lot of stuff in it. Um, and if you want more than that, then all, we do want you to be a dedicated practitioner of our system. Doesn't mean you can't study other things too, but you can't be looky-loo and we're gonna train you all the way up in our advanced stuff where there's, you know, just wouldn't make sense for us to do that because then you're calling what, what you got from us, whatever it is you're doing that doesn't reflect where you actually got it and how you actually got it. And so we are um, careful that way. But once we know somebody, okay, you're really here, you're really studying this, you really are going to be doing this, then we're going to impart it to you. And so it's not hard to get in there. Um, you just have to be serious. Uh, to be fair, I mean, uh, the level one push hands alone, um, you know, people people consider that the some of the things that you get in that five-day workshop they consider that to be like high-level indoor secret kinds of skills and well let's put it this way the level one most of what's in there for the style the people that i got from the styles it was it was indoor for their for their style for their method um for the parts that i got from other people for them it was indoor and only their higher level students had it their beginners did not the beginners i mean anybody under about five to ten years worth of training so yeah good anything else on that matter that was it no that's all i had <laughs> no, that's all right um but it's uh, but uh, you know it is a matter of perspective uh, it's um you know we there's there's levels in our system in clear tai chi and and you know obviously there's you know it, it wouldn't make sense to even try to teach someone something at level four if they're not ready for it if they're really still just at like a level one kind of skill set they're not going to be able to get that higher level material anyway they do have to go through the progression to get there, but it is available. There's a path available. It's, it's, you know, it's a transparent path. We're being very upfront about what that path is there. There's like the roadmap to Tai Chi for anybody who, you know, wants to know more about that. The, the uh, roadmap to Tai Chi mastery is available at Tai Chi roadmap.com. And that really very clearly lays out the, you know, the, the path and the steps and what they are and why they are. Yep. Levels of progression. And that's, that's, what's the website on that again? That's uh, tai chi roadmap.com. Yep. Cool. Thank you. The uh, one of the other ways of teaching is make it fun. Internal push hands uh, and sort of when I say roughhousing, I don't mean I don't mean sloppy, dangerous kind of training. I mean playing, but playing and playing a game and having fun while you're doing it. And because you're having fun and they're still kind of like playing a video game is the way I put it a lot of times. You know, the, the game can be challenging, but it's fun and you're going, I'm gonna beat that level. I'm gonna get that thing. I'm gonna understand what I gotta understand in order to get to that next, to, to that next level. And in the internal push hands, it really does do that when somebody plays it enough to start getting the hang of what's going on there. And by having it fun like that, um, the fun that I say it five times now. <laughs> the fun of doing it makes it that much more that you want to do it. And then the knowledge and the ability starts to come because of that. 
And the uh, um, and so I find that people really pick up very well doing that for those reasons. And even when they're then working with each other or working with people with less skill, if they're willing to do things to challenge themselves, then the skill keeps building and it's still fun. So like, can you do it while you're standing on one leg and they're standing on both of theirs? You know, that one leg is up in the air. Can you do it when you're only using one arm and the other arm's behind your back and they've got both hands on you? Can you do it when you're only using one of the skill sets and they're using a dozen of the skill sets? Um, and that kind of thing. And then different, and then where you're doing different skill sets, even though you're only doing one or two of them. Um, and you learn a lot of stuff that way and your skill level absolutely jumps up doing that. And it's one that I found that a lot of people when they do play like push hands, they want to go for broke all the time. And it's like, well, A, it's not that fun anymore, at least for somebody, unless you got too super hyper competitive and then maybe, right? And even then they're so busy trying to jump to the finish line that they're not, um, they're not getting the fun benefit and they're not taking the time to take in what the exchanges actually involve. And so there's not the learning process there. And for most people, if they play against you and it's hyper competitive like that, it's not going to be as fun or it won't be fun at all. Um, and so it really is making it fun, keeping it active, doing enough to be trying to win, but where the winning isn't your primary, it's what can I feel? What can I, what can I figure out? What can I uh, neutralize that they're trying to bring? What can I bring that they're having a hard time with, but I'm not really putting a lot of force into it and all those kinds of things. And so the more fun you can make it like that, I find the better and the easier it is to really learn and pick up more skills, more knowledge, more ability. Um, all right. So for the levels that um, Matt was talking about there, it would be the um, roadmap to internal power, which is at taichiroadmap.com. Yes, sir. And then, yep. and then um, if you want the free practical guide to internal power, uh, then that's at clearmartialarts.com along with other instructional DVDs and, and uh, including ones for the internal push hands and that kind of thing. And then also online, you don't have to get it as a DVD, you can get it as an online where you can just put it on whatever device you're watching on and see it that way. And so uh, one more shameless plug for you. Okay, uh, that word from our sponsor. Clearmartialarts.com, Tai Chi Roadmap. Um, another way to learn is competition, is actual competition, a little differently than the having fun. And that can be friendly competition uh, where you're really just testing out skills. One of my favorite ways to do that is to take whatever the skill that we're really working on is and put it in as much isolation as we can and compete with a partner who's either doing something where these two things really have quite the exchange or the same skill against the same skill to see who can work that skill better, that kind of thing, and kind of using each other to sharpen our swords, so to speak, um, that, you know, if, if, if I'm having to do it that much better than them in order for it to win, in order to win it, then I'm really um, honing that skill set. And that's as long as you stay true and honest to the practice, right, which is obviously important for your learning 
and continued development. The uh, uh, that's for the that's kind of for the friendly competition. The not so friendly competitions you're seeing. Okay, if I can do this thing, and you should be building it first to do it fast, to be able to do it fast. It's not that you're doing it fast most of the time. Ideally, in Tai Chi, a lot of the time it's not. But you want the ability to do it fast, and I find that's where a lot of people in Tai Chi, other styles and stuff. Uh, not everybody. There are people that can move with Tai Chi quite, quite fast, quite well. But commonly, what you find is people have this skill set, and you go, "Okay, let's see that at speed." Bam! It's a shove instead of a push, and they can't, and they can't do it to save their life. And it's like you got to put in some more work on that thing. You know, you can get it up to where you can do it at full tilt. And it's not that you would use it on that most people that way most of the time, but you need to be able to if you're going to use it as a real skill, certainly for self-defense stuff. Um, you need to be able to do it at full power. In other words, there's a lot of skills that I feel for people in Tai Chi, and it's so subtle that it's like you're listening really intently and you go, okay, there's a little bit of something happening there. And most of these skills can be done at a volume where people who don't believe it at all are going, oh my God, what's that? And until you've hit that kind of a point with it as a skill, most skills, you really don't have it at a decent functional. I'm not even saying you have it at a high level skill yet. I'm saying you don't have it at a, at the, at a mid level skill of functionality. If you can't use it in a way that's that's impressive to the average person standing there where they're going like let's say it's rooting if you root where somebody is just determined to move you still moves you then you've got a lot of root work to do if, you, if you're rooting rooting it should be like it's like you're a wall or a giant tree you know that that i can't do anything with and this is somebody without training who just thought they're big and strong and they're going i can't do anything with you until your roots hit that level, it's not a really a decent rooting skill yet. And that's not the end of it. That's, that's where an intermediate person should be with their root skill. And I'm using that one as an example. If it spirals, it should be the kind of thing where anybody looking at you sees a spiral going all through your body from head to toe. Um, if you have it at a higher level, you should be able to stand there. You don't look like you're doing anything at all. And somebody grabs a hold of your arm and it can feel the spirals going inside of you. And they feel them enough to where they're like, like if somebody that doesn't know anything about the art, I've had this happen uh, with the doctors actually, uh, when I broke my back, pulled his hand off like, whoa, you know, and I wasn't moving outside, but he could absolutely feel me moving inside. And, and that, and so those skills um, to build that. And then once they're built, you test them and ideally where the other person is, make this difficult on me, make it so that I'm gonna have a hard time doing this, make it so that, try to make that thing so that I, so that it fails or doesn't work so that I have to make it better and more and faster and stronger and deeper and wider and bigger and all those things um, so that it becomes truly functional and usable and this is, that's the, that's the martial side but then once you get it to that size, an ability if it's a healing thing too then you've got the healing thing at that size and ability okay any comments there okay um another one i've got here well it's the one i was talking about is to test it against resistance many people don't really do this they don't put somebody in there and go this is what i'm doing and your goal is to stop that from happening right and Many others, many other folks do start this too early before they have any actual skill. 
you know, they get five minutes of Tai Chi and they're trying to get into the MMA contest. And I'm looking at them going, you're about to get your, your, your clock. It's going to be awful. Don't do that. You know, and it's like, well, but you said it will work. Yeah. Once you've trained it up, but you actually do have to train it up. And what I find is a lot of times people are just so eager to get in there and fight it that it's like, why do you bother with Tai Chi or anything else? You should have just gone and put the gloves on and climb into the ring. That's what they really want to do. And it's just too soon. It's too much too soon. And, and they've got to build the skill first. And that's going to take the time it's going to take you, whatever that is. Um, anyways, testing against resistance. There are other methods. Everybody is different. Everybody learns in their own best way. And I'm going to give you some of the ways that people learn here in a little bit. Um, what works best for you? And I've gone through some ways. Let's start off with other ways that maybe I didn't name off here that you've experienced or that you use uh, like that. And because that was just the ones kind of off the top of my head when I wrote this out. Um, and there maybe are I'll, maybe I'll throw something out real quick there. Uh, sure. I, I think Ty may, Ty may agree. Uh, I learned a lot from uh, an uncle one time. And his favorite way of showing me things was both through embarrassment. So if you, uh, oh my. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, uh, and some, some people are, are very strong willed. And if you, if you get them, show them something that they can't do, they, they tend to try to escalate their game. So, oh yeah. So thank, thank you to Uncle Sam and uh, all his great instructors. <laughs> but, uh, it, it's nothing like uh, not being, uh, well, being the guy that can't finish that 10-mile run, you know. <laughs> you don't want to be that guy. <laughs> so. Yeah, yep. By pushing you, by challenging you, and work, and then getting you to learn certain things about, like in the case of the ten mile run, I guess as you were learning things about endurance, about catching your second wind or third wind, about pacing yourself, about um, a number of other things that they could explain it to you a lot of ways, but by having you do it, and then challenging you so that you then push through, because it's hard to teach somebody to push through but you could put them in a situation where it's like, you've got to push through this and they feel the drive to do it. Those kinds of things, what other kinds of lessons might be there to be had? And I know you two have experienced that in that way. So what other kinds of things did you figure out from that training from being pushed just, and trained that way? Just what the, you know, how self-defeating the, the, the psyche can be, the body can carry on and body can do a lot of things that, uh, that you don't realize, but not until you're pushed and you, you've surpassed the, the breaking point. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the question too would be on something like that. What part broke? Well, something that doing those sort of things, you find that the mental part is probably the most important part is that we would go out on a six mile run and then they say, go ahead and take a shower. And just as you're getting in the shower, they take you out for another six mile run. And people get defeated just because they thought it was over with. Not that they couldn't do it, but mentally they would break. Uh, and it's an important lesson because if you're out on a mission or something, you could think it's over and then no, it's not. You're in the middle, you're in the thick of it. And you better not be getting beat like that because if you beat yourself, 
You knew he's gonna kill you. Yeah. Yeah, I got. I, yeah, absolutely. So, Sifu, I have a story like ties. Um, we had a a test called the Expert Field Medical Badge, and it Expert it, Field Medical Bash. Bad. Bad. B a d g e. Okay, badge. Yeah. Okay. Right. And it involved a 12-mile march, uh, mm-hmm. which was pretty challenging, and you had to carry stuff, and you had, to, you had a time limit to it. And what they would do is after six miles, they would have someone come by, and they would say, oh, you only have such and such distance. Like, you only have, you know... Um, you only have three miles left. Oh. They would swing by and you walked another, you know, you walked another half hour and they'd come by. Oh, you only have five miles left. <laughs> <laughs> so it was that same kind of mind game that Ty's talking about. Oh, yeah. So I, I think there are a lot of there's a lot of sadism in military training. Sure. There's another story about embarrassment that uh, I remember. I had I had studied a, a man called Mark Cheng. I don't know if any of you have heard of him, but um, in any case, he had does uh, he had a number of videos teaching applications for the hundred and eight form, mm-hmm. and he 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 talked about how when he was growing up, his father was a pretty high level instructor, both for Kung Fu and Tai Chi. And uh, Mark was very into the Kung Fu and his father couldn't get him into Tai Chi. You know, he was, he was maybe 10 or 11 and Kung Fu had a lot of appeal and Tai Chi had very little. And his father was trying to get him involved in Tai Chi as well. So finally his father out of action, out of, um, exasperation told Mark to punch at his nose as hard as he could. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then he did the uh, play the peepaw where he caught the hand and he cranked the elbow. Oof. And that got Mark's attention. And then he really started to train Tai Chi uh, yeah. and with interest. So that was an example of uh, teaching and motivating by embarrassment. Cool, absolutely. Well, and I, I think the bigger, the bigger theme here isn't so much what uh, teaching methods are uniquely effective or you know differently effective or or anything like that. So much as as it really comes down to what are the lessons that that student really needs to learn in order to like you know d- d- depending maybe even in order to want to study the art in the first place, but. Um, but whatever, you know, whatever, uh, like in the military training, you know, you already made that call. You're in the, you're in the army now. And it's, what are the lessons that you need to learn? Um, and at a certain point in, you know, for your students, once they've kind of gotten past the beginning, it's okay. You're, you're in it. This is, this is what the art is. This is what you need to learn. And, uh, um, and depending on the student, a lot of times there's different internal, struggles or hurdles that they might be going through that are going to hold them back in their training in certain kinds of ways. And so some of the teaching methods that we choose um, 
we have to be mindful of that sometimes. And I'm, I don't have like a great example off the top of my head, but I know it does come up in my classes, you know, routinely where that's one of the greatest things about Tai Chi is that it is not a one size fits all art. It really is something that can be and is meant to be tailored kind of to the individual in a certain way and to what their kind of most immediate needs are with this long-term progression in mind and, uh, and at different stages along Oh, you faded out there, Matt. Sorry. At different stages along the, that's where you ended. At different stages along the way, that's going to be what that, what that need is, is going to be different for different people. Um, and it can vary radically, um, you know, even, even right at the beginning, there's, there's a lot of, I mean, especially right at the beginning, actually, there's a lot of people that come in for all sorts of different reasons, including like arthritis, um, you know, uh, heart conditions, um, or, uh, or like high blood pressure things, um, balance issues and vertigo. Like there's yeah. all sorts of like really kind of very disparate reasons people start with Tai Chi. Yep. Um, asthma and all that. The other thing is, is that most people have a teaching method or two or three teaching methods that they really like, are comfortable with, uh, tend to use. And that's the way that they kind of think about things. And then, and a lot of times that's based on then everybody has their own best ways that they learn things. Some people have to be just extremely hands-on in order to learn stuff. Some people see it best, you know, when they really, really see it, they learn better that way. Some people are very auditory. They have to really hear it and process it through that mechanism in order to learn. Um, some people have to get their mind very engaged in order to pick up some people it'd be better if they were physically doing the thing um, directly and then their and then their mind will start to process process off of their physical activity and so everybody's kind of different um, or falls into one of a bunch of different categories and so what happens we as student we as teachers we get a student and we've told that student all kinds of stuff in all kinds of different ways or showed it or whatever we were doing trying to get them to pick up and they're not getting it they're not getting it they're not getting it we take our students to something like the Tai Chi gathering that's coming up. They hear that same thing from one of the other instructors. And then they come up going, Oh man, I just learned how to do this thing. You know, like they've never heard it before. And you're going, I've only told you that 10,000 times. And they're like, really? And it was that the learning, the, the way that teacher presented and the way they said it, and sometimes even the inflection they said it with, or an example or two that they gave that really hit home in a certain kind of way, were much more appropriate to where that student's at as a student and a learning, a person who's learning. And so it made it click on for them in a way that, um, that whichever one of us is, is their actual teacher, um, has not been able to communicate with them in that way because they because of either our teaching method or their learning method or both and and so it really is nice when we can get together the way that we're going to for the Tai Chi gathering and do this because they're going to hear a, a, they're going to see a number of different kinds of presentations from a number of different teaching methods and with a number of different explanations about a bunch of the same things. And, the, and it's not that they're, that it's too much overlap even that way, because there's this, the study of the art is big enough to where there's a lot of different topics. But even then, if you 
start talking about somebody that's been in the art for three, four, five years or longer, at least at the public level of, of the upfront first level information, a lot of that's going to be some of the same information, uh, but they're going to see it differently. They're going to hear it differently. They're going to experience it differently and things will click for them because of that. Um, that didn't necessarily click before that they got it or even heard it or even go, yeah, I did get taught on that, but I didn't get it the way that I'm getting it now. I, I got this, this turned on a real serious light bulb for me kind of a thing. And it's and it will make that kind of difference. And so there's a lot of value in it. A lot of people don't want their students to be around other teachers. Um, I don't want them doing something that is so contrary or that's just not, you know, I wouldn't want them to go from Tai Chi to going to the uh, rigid, blocky, you know, uh, the worst karate you can find um, and doing that and then coming back to class and going, I think I made my Tai Chi a lot better. Look how blocky my Tai Chi is now. Oh no, <laughs> that was awful. But the uh, but in terms of like them going to other teachers or seeing in this case a bunch of other teachers, uh, even though within our system, um, where we're really approaching all these things from our from the different ways we approach it and the different ways we're gonna ex we each explain it and do it, and the student gains a lot from that and really becomes a much more a much better practitioner. And as a person who who is going to be present watching. All of you guys teach and lady the uh um and hopefully hopefully soon ladies the uh uh you know i'll gain stuff that even that i'll still get insights at times including if you see me writing furiously there's probably some way you explained it or some way you taught it that made me go oh man that would really help people get that and i'm going to use that and then the other part of that is because of the way you did something or said something or are using something um, or approaching something that it sparks other thoughts in me, both in terms of how to get into other aspects of the curriculum using the methodology that you are using um, so that it really makes a difference, that it, that it really adds something to the whole program, to the whole uh, teaching experience to the whole learning experience, both for, for you, me, and for the students and anybody that else who might be there working on that material, including other teachers and all that. And vice versa. That's part of the reason why over the, over time here, we've got at least two guest instructors coming up on this Tai Chi gathering, and I will be looking to get more guests. So if you're hearing this and you're like a Chin stylist, who's, who's, a, who's a good Chin stylist, Love to have you to come to one of the gatherings in the future and do an hour presentation because that's about the time that each person's getting and that kind of a thing to expose our people to more how Chen style, style stylists think and what you do and what's valuable about that and all of that because it's going to inform the Tai Chi across the board um, like that. And then the same thing that you be getting experience and exposure to what we're doing, it should be a really nice exchange um like that anyways and i use the chin style as an example same thing if i had a woo stylist or a young stylist or a um and we've got a young stylist coming this time um that was one of chin man ching's senior students early students and he learned from stanley israel and who was one of the, who was considered by many to be the senior student under chin man ching or one of the seniors and the one that had more internal than a lot of them um, not that there aren't other ones that have it too. 
because um, there are. And he learned from BP Chan that was known for being able to really fight with the Tai Chi um, and all those kinds of things. That's George Antonian, if, I, if you don't know who I'm talking about. Um, anyways, and so that kind of stuff. And same thing, if we get somebody that's really got some nice, impressive Qigong and has ability with that Qigong, we do enough Qigong in our system to where they're probably not going to do anything you guys aren't particularly familiar with and or that our students aren't at the same time, it's a different insight, a different practice, a different uh, approach, a different, um, all those kinds of things. And especially like with um, Chad Bailey this time, he's gonna be coming and showing some Twina and how to use that Twina to access the internal systems in the body and working into the deeper layers of Qi, uh, the four layers that in Chinese medicine that they talk about are Wei Qi surface, um, Meridian Qi, which is like fascia level, uh, Ying Qi, which is nutritive level, which is like air and processing of food nutrients into your body, and then bone marrow Qi, um, deeper than that. And so using that method to get in there and to kind of diagnose and to, to understand things about the body and to make adjustment into those layers of Qi through a very soft but appropriate Twina method and so it's a very different exposure. At the same time, our folks are going to have a lot of ability to relate to that. And then he's already learning our system. He has the level one on the, the internal push hands and he's working that and he's looking forward to doing level two and doing all those things. And so there's this nice crossover effect that, that kind of happened. Anyways, um, yep. I, mean, I didn't mean to get quite so off track there, but I think you guys see what I'm after or what I'm about on this. Any other thoughts, questions, comments? Uh, yeah. Um, one of the things that I've noticed, uh, like when I teach, is um, when somebody doesn't get something, like, you know, you say it and then six months later, or a year later, go, oh, it's this thing. And all of a sudden they get it. Mm -hmm. A lot of times it's going to be some sort of communication filter. There's an interference between me giving them the message and them receiving the message. So if someone was talking over in the corner, creates a communication filter, there's two conversations going on. Uh, and so that can actually lead to an issue. Sure. Um, it could be, but, and that's like an external thing. There's also internal communication filters. So for example, if, uh, if I'm speaking Tai Chi language and they just joined, they're not going to get any of what I'm saying. I, you know, and that's when you get more to the metaphor. Yeah. When you try to connect them. Yeah. But uh, I've, I've had more than one Chinese master cross their eyes. Like, what? When they're hearing one of the metaphors I use, because they've never any other yeah. teacher used that metaphor, especially if it's something like using the bathroom or something like uh -huh. that, where they're like, where they're going, what the hell? I've never heard anybody say it like this before. And they think I'm nuts or something. And then they see the students doing what I said, and then you get this, wow, you know, that's, it's happened more than yeah. a few times. Sorry, go ahead. And that, what I was going to say was the metaphor is really important for somebody who's brand spanking new. Yeah. Something to, they until they learn the language. Yes. You know what I mean? And some of it's verbal, but also there's a body language kind of. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, but if you, you know, what I found is almost all the thing where they don't get something it's going to be some sort of filtering and some of the filtering could even be like an ideological thing. Yeah. Or an emotional thing. 
Yeah. 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 And so they hit that filter and then they're not taking in the information quite like they would be because there's this internal noise going on. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, like I say, everybody is different, learns in their own best way. What works best for you is a good thing to know. And then to studying the, and then for studying the different methods of teaching and all of that, or at least having some experience of being taught things in different ways, or, and like, if you're being taught something, you're not sure you get it. It's, Hey, can you, instead of telling somebody, Hey, can you explain that in a different way? Can I feel that? Could you verbalize that a little better? Could you give me a metaphor for that? You know, you can actually ask for the different teaching methods. They may or may not be able to deliver on that, but at least by trying to get that knowledge coming through those different ways, you're letting your mind kind of get different aspects of it um, so that it, you're much more likely to be able to wrap your mind around it fully and actually embody that as opposed to just kind of passively watching it go by, for lack of a better way to say it. What were you going to say there, Matt? Oh, I just, well, I, I wanted to echo that, like, as a Tai Chi teacher, it's super valuable to see um, other teachers and the way they teach and not even necessarily be, like, even be there taking notes, but to have students that have had difficulties with things, to have their breakthroughs, like, in different ways come back to you and be able to kind of explain like what made the difference. And sometimes they're, they're not always able to verbalize what made the difference. It's just like this, I don't know, it was just this kind of new thing. But a lot of times you can sort of piece together if you were, you know, if you were there, especially, um, you can kind of piece together what was different enough about how it was approached or how it was said or, uh, and, and sometimes it really just is, it was a different, person up there and and that that you know that wired a different uh, like kind of attention level um they were just on a different bandwidth that day or whatever it is but um but a lot of times you'll pick up really really great insights into how to like structure your classes better and how to incorporate new pieces and um you know just just elements of being a better teacher yourself by yeah. participating in these kinds of things cool. so he's saying pick your students brains which you guys know i tend to do <laughs> Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, now that you mentioned um, students, I would like to chime in there because I love asking the students for their feedback before I ever say anything. And that way I can really, I can really pinpoint, you know, who's got it and who's struggling. And um, another way to support the students in their development, not only obtaining the skills, but also possibly on route to becoming teachers themselves is to have them work in partners and sort of coach each other. And that way they're getting feedback from their partner and they also have the opportunity to correct their partner. So that has worked out pretty well. And then of course I'm there to intervene if neither one is getting it or whatever, but I think it's really valuable to, to sort of, uh, what is that called when you when you ask for something on the internet? Uh, mass. Let's see. Something about sourcing. <laughs> when you source from multiple brains. Crowd, crowdsource. Crowdsourcing. Thank you. Yes, art. Crowdsourcing. So if I crowdsource from within that small group there, I'm going to get more possible ways to explain something than if I just try to be the star of the show all the time, you know? 
And, and I'll just jump in yesterday uh, in a seniors class that I was doing yesterday morning. I was teaching an e-skill and uh, seven out of the eight students weren't quite getting it. And the one got it really well. And I said, do you have a way of explaining that's different than what I said? how it is you're feeling that and what you're feeling. And when he explained it to the rest, they all went, oh, like, great. Thank you. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, cool. Sifu, one of the things that um, Paul Lamb used to talk about when he used to talk about teaching was that um, sometimes and he emphasizes form more than, than you do, I think. Yeah. One of the things he said, a lot of times students would follow along, but they would never actually learn to do the form independently. That's right. And, and that's a huge problem. It, it's, it is when you're running something where the form is that thing that's being done primarily all the time, then they can just keep following along, right? They don't have a need to necessarily do it on their own, especially if they're able to make class like three times a week, then why bother? You know, ideally it'd be that they do it every day and that they really, and where, where it really comes out, as soon as you start looking to apply it, they can't. Not only can they not do the form, but they go to try to apply anything, they can't do it because they don't really know the moves like that. It's that their mind is, uh, is almost divorced from their body when they're practicing all the time because they're having to look and they're trying to get, and they're relaying the command to that instead of being able to feel their body doing the moves and understanding how it feels on the on the ebb and the flow and the yin right. and the yang aspects in all kinds of other ways too. Um, and then um, when it comes to actual use, they're too much in a well. If this is kind of how you eat with the fork, and you could be like, let's if you pretended like you didn't know how you were mimicking, but you can't actually pick up food like that. It's either going to be you can't even lift it off the plate or you fling it across the room trying to get it up off the plate, you know, or whatever. What You know, think about where you've had something in a pan and you were cooking it and it was sticking or it was looser than you thought it was, you know, something like a, or even a door. It's either a lot stronger than you thought it was or a lot weaker than you thought it was. So either it flies and slams open or you're standing there like pulling on it, pulling on it, pulling it. Somebody's used to that door walks up and goes, look, click, click and opens the door. Well, what's different? And the person who is doing the mimicking the motions, they're not getting any of that because they're not ever actually opening the door or if there was food, they're never actually moving the food. And so they, they really miss a lot doing that. And, and I would say that most of the time when it comes to the health aspects in the Qigong, they got that they're up off the couch doing something. They got that they're looking at something and processing it through their mind to do their, have their body do it. But that's it. They, they do not get the vast majority of the other benefits because their body is not actually working that stuff. It's, it's mimicking that stuff. And it's not the same thing. And now, a word from our sponsor. For those of you who are interested in internal power and want a reliable place to start, and for anyone who wants to experience internal power for themselves, go to internalpowerguide.com. I built a crash course in hands-on internal power. The practical guide to internal power is a work at your own pace online program. It is the course I use to get students from zero to 60 as quickly as possible. And it is totally free. So sign up at internalpowerguide.com now and get started right away. That's internalpowerguide.com. 
com. You you mentioned that uh, Trap Daily was was going to be teaching something on was it Chad what? Chad yeah. Chad Can you hear me? Yeah, uh, was it Chad or Trap Daily? Chad. Okay, but was he teaching? What was it? Was he teaching a different uh, some sort of system or technique? So we've got an actual description of it up on um, TaiChiGathering.com. It's one of the listed uh, workshops and you can read the workshop and he's it's actually got some of the language in there for exactly what he's doing. Um, and so you can see it specifically. Excellent, thank you. Oh yeah, and we'll be leaving that up until we replace, you know, we'll be, uh, after this workshop is up, if you were seeing this after June, it's still gonna be up for a while. We will eventually replace those I would say somewhere between now and January, between November of this year, you know, 2021 and January, February of next year, those descriptions will be getting replaced with next year's descriptions, you know, 2022's uh, workshops. So, yeah. And yeah, his method is, I've seen his method. I've not seen that method other places. Um, I'm sure he learned it from some folks too. Um, and I really like it. It really is a nice, a nice method. It goes pretty well with the um, internal push hands. Yeah. If you have Ting skill from, you developed from internal push hands, it's a good, um, it's a, it's a nice kind yeah, of complimentary going directly into the healing aspect with it so and and all that and with the other person laying down and on the like on the floor on a you know or on a surface as opposed to standing but using things that you'll see directly relate to the internal push hands yes um the uh da, 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 da. and so one of the questions that i would recommend you be able to answer for yourself is what teaching methods or what learning method works best for you? Which one do you learn the best from? And can you verbalize that so that when you are having a hard time getting something that you can help explain to a teacher, could you put that in this way? And I don't mean bug people to death. And if you're picking it up, go, hey, I want to hear it that way too, especially if you're in a crowd, we'll drive everybody nuts. But, um, but anytime it's one-on-one -on -one and you're learning something, if you go, okay, I'm kind of getting this and this from it, could you, whatever way that you're learning, you know, um, kind of put it across to me like that and, and be able to verbalize that well enough that they get what it is. They may or may not be able to do that, but it's not a bad thing for you if they try. The, uh, all right. Um, what is your primary teaching method is another good thing to know. And I've got, I've probably got half a dozen, like most of the ones I've written here, not all of them but a good number of them I use. And it just kind of depends on circumstances and what I'm looking at the crowd, usually whoever I'm teaching. And then if I'm seeing this way, it's not kind of quite getting it across. I can switch modes. I know most of you have seen me do that at one time or another. Um, do you work on improving your teaching methods? Because ideally you would uh, be. And how do you work on becoming a better teacher? And some of that is, is kind of the things that we're talking about and studying that, keeping an eye on that, looking at that, seeing what relates, what people relate to better and well. And, and also as you teach and you get difficult students, not just going, oh, well, they're a difficult student, but, but actually figuring out what am I going to have to do, say, 
uh, how am I going to have to convey it so that they so that they get it so that that difficult student is able to pick it up. I guess I'll chime in on this one because of my uh, prior comments. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I, <laughs> now the, uh, you know, society has definitely changed and, you know, the, the embarrassment uh, factor doesn't work anymore. <laughs> well, no, fact, you, lose a, you lose a lot more students than you help. <laughs> but yeah. uh, <laughs> But luckily, I have a good partner uh, in Denise, and she uh, she's a very soft-spoken, uh, you know. And, and I get a big kick out of it because I try to uh, I try to read the class and and figure out, uh, as Harry said, uh, what helps people learn and, and get feedback from the from the classes. But I I get a big kick out of uh, you know how different people associate with different learning methods. And I have, I have former military guys, I have engineers, I have a social worker as a, you know, so I have a broad spectrum of, uh, of students and you, you have to be able to uh, switch back and forth, I find. Oh, yeah. So that, that is very important. And, and as a as an instructor, I, you know, I, I I've taught, uh, you know, uh, I've taught self defense to to police officers for a long time, and it's a paramilitary type of environment that definitely definitely does not work. I I've also coached in high school and and done that type of you know quote unquote teaching and. You know, it's a different format uh, dealing with seniors, uh, teaching seniors a Tai Chi is yet another format. So you have to be very flexible. And I see for you mentioned that you have to, you know, you really have to have different methods in order to succeed. Flexible and diverse, uh, the ability to have, you know, um, uh, as many options to draw on as possible. For how to do things yeah so i'll jump in um and jim as far as the embarrassment uh, goes i have a student who loves pushing hands with me and i said oh don't worry at the gathering i'm sure you'll see sifu clear hand me my ass so <laughs> and he loved that <laughs> now i have to do that again <laughs> yeah yeah that was it. <laughs> anyway um but yeah i would just totally back up that being diverse and teaching seniors is so much different in in many ways than teaching you know some of our younger students um, and by younger, I mean 20s, 30s, 40s, um, when they're really spry and they, they want to be more martial and that sort of thing. Um, I find myself um, very happy to uh, ask my students, please give me feedback. Tell me how you want to learn. And, and, and one of the, the things that I find, especially when it's, it's coming down to more of the basic stuff, when you're teaching uh, beginners from scratch, uh, you know, one of our forms, the 8 or the 13, um, uh, I jump all around as far as where I'm positioned. Uh, and I find that that's one of the things that I need. One of the most difficult things for me 
is when we were on Zoom having a private workshop with Sifu Clear, and he's showing how something goes, and it's backward, and I'm going, uh, uh, can you turn around, Sifu? I just, I can't make that translation. Ah, <laughs> so I really understand it when some of my students have that issue, uh, and I try to accommodate that. Yeah, different, different positions, different vantage points, different, yeah. yeah. Closer, further away. Home. I really like. Um, sorry. No, you're good. I really like what I was saying about listening because it's it's easy to make assumptions about different groups and what you think they might want, but the truth is, unless you really listen to each individual, you're not really going to know because you could find, you know, there's there's plenty of seniors who still have, you know, their interest is more martial, and there's lots of like you know, mothers and housewives that you would put in a different category. And actually they really want to kind of, you know, kick some butt. And so uh -huh. you have to really listen and um, yeah. And be, be prepared to accommodate for, for those different interests and not just assume that an elderly person doesn't want to push hands because maybe they do. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Harry's, Harry's talked about fun. Well, I, I let my students know from the very beginning that my class will require some hands-on. And if you have, like, you know, if God forbid they had a traumatic situation or something where they're uncomfortable with that, of course I will accommodate. But I asked them to tell me that privately. I said, otherwise, if you're not good with this and, and, and I let them know why we're going to do it, then eh, this may not be the right class for you. Um, because we're going to push hands and that is just part of what we do. And I've never had a, I've got 80 plus year olds pushing hands with the, the clear tight. I realize the internal push hands for the, this is for those people out there listening that are new to us for some reason, the internal push hands is not like competitive. See if you can throw the person across the room or out of the ring kind of a push hand. It's about feeling inside, making internal adjustments building up internal skill. And so when you're doing that, um, obviously starting from a very, very beginner, simple standpoint, it's very still, very calm, very learning to listen and feel kind of practice. And so the older folks, um, the, the, the seniors really do like that um, typically. Some of them like to get competitive too. I'm like, well, so that. all right. <laughs> What were you going to say, Steve? Oh, so, uh, so I was going to say, all with, yep, with um, the communication is really important. You know, you need to have a relationship with your students. You need to identify where they are, what their mindset is. But, mm -hmm. you know, as, as an instructor, you also need to be able to adjust their mindsets so they can adapt to the learning environment also. Right. So knowing where they are so you can bring them to where they need to be because you're, you may have a class that's very diverse and, and you may not be able to only teach one style and you may not be able to necessarily jump around from person to person to person. Um, so if you find that you have somebody who is overly rigid in what they need and the class isn't really for them, you can, you can recommend to them that you can do private lessons with them mm -hmm. and, set, and set that up and just charge them you know, what you need for private lessons. And eventually while you're working one-on-one -on -one with that mind, you'll be able to get them to hopefully adapt to a, a bigger perspective and, and see how they can learn in a, in a classroom environment. You may also be able to, and even if you took the 
you know, half an hour, an hour with them, be able to get, okay, this person's going to learn best like this. And then be able to put that across in your classes and see if it doesn't, that doesn't help other people relate to it in that, in another way that makes it better too. When we're doing something like the Tai Chi gathering that we've got coming up, uh, one of the nice things is that people seeing all these different instructors will get on top of, they may pick up from one of them something that ideally is fundamental to the art and get it because of that different presentation and that different emphasis and that different um, person and all those things. Sometimes they just need a different person saying the same thing and to hear it repeatedly. The, uh, but the other one in there is then to have the appreciation for the different personalities and the different ways of putting it across and the different ways of actually using the information um, and being able to appreciate that um, ideally, and I'm letting you guys know this for, for all of you for, because you have students coming to this and that if you had one coming out, I didn't really like most of those people. I like that guy or I like that, that person, that lady, that whatever the, uh, like that. It's like, well, they each have things to teach. Can you gain something from each person, whatever that is? And if they're like, no, nope, no, nope, really like that person and be like, okay, if you're going to do Tai Chi long-term, you're going to open up your mind a little bit because there's going to be things in the program in the curriculum. There are, there's also material that really lends itself to one or the other ways of being taught. There's a lot of stuff. And when I say a lot of stuff, I don't mean it's the whole curriculum by any means. And it's not even half the curriculum. But at the real advanced level, there are a number of things that are really high level stuff where I'm going to be like, okay, you've been studying this for 10 to 20 years now. And there's not good language to convey this thing. I can tell you what I know for like what it does, but that is different from what it is. Or as I'm telling you, I'm telling you things that occur or that, that will happen because you're using this skill, but the skill itself, I can call it a name, but then that's not how you do it. And so you're going to have to experience that to the, in the ways that we can have you experience it. And you're going to have to try to feel it. And that's just the way that that's going to have to be done because it's not, because it's so internal. At a, let me put it this way. If I have somebody doing wave, I can do a wave with my arm and or a wave with my whole body and I can get them doing waving. If I say now turn on an electrical buzz, well, I can't demonstrate that with my movement because it doesn't exist that way, right? Uh, in terms of in terms of something like that, they can feel it. That doesn't mean they know how to generate it, and so it's gonna. And so then all of a sudden you're limited in a bunch of the ways that you can teach because the way that that particular expression is is tougher. It's 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 limited in in the from the from the transmitting of it. It's limited by the medium. The medium is more limiting than what the thing is. And so then you have to be able to convey it in different ways. So ideally any advanced student can learn multiple ways, even if they have a preferred way and have developed ways to take in information that's a bit more, um, that's more difficult, that's higher level. And it's, that's more, um, and that's, and that a lot of times is why something is higher level, because if you showed it to beginner, you don't have a way to, there's not a good way, simple way to convey it that they can easily pick up on and that they need other skill sets in order to do that. And so there are skill sets that do build to these advanced things. So it's like, okay, you know how you got that, let's say it was trembling vibrating skill if we're talking about like an electrical 
like electrical socket kind of a electrical electricity kind of a feel. Okay, and so trembling, now make that tremble internal, now make it really super refined and super fast and these other things. And then the skill sets are gonna have to have been built there to do it. So you can begin to describe kind of how to get there at the same time, are they there or not? Anyways, you get the idea. It's gonna be a lot more, there's gonna be a lot of ways you could try to explain it that aren't gonna convey it very well. Um, like that. Anyways, sorry, I didn't mean to go off on a tangent there, but the, um, and so ideally you learn to appreciate different people's presentation methods, whatever method it might be to get from it, what you can get from it and to get better at picking it up. So if somebody is conveying that way that you pick it up, by the way, as you, the more of these you pick up, the more other kinds of subtle things you learn to feel and to be able to pick up on quicker and better and that all lends itself to self-defense skills and to healing skills, both because of the subtlety that's involved in the ability to sense like that and then the ability to perceive what's actually being, what's actually happening, what's actually being put across and how, and then to be able, and then learning to be very responsive to that in positive ways, hopefully, <laughs> not negative ways. All right, um, good. What is your primary teaching method? Do you work on improving your teaching methods? How do you work on becoming a better teacher? And these are something that ideally we are normally working on. So yeah. I have two things to, to, uh, to add, I guess, to the kind of the table um, in this area, which is the, just a couple of considerations that aren't always the easiest to uh, to glean in like uh, like a format like the gathering where it's going to be more you know short term presentations that are about an hour each. Um, there's longer term considerations as well for when you're teaching a class. So there's a couple of things that I have learned over time that I had to consider and I, I had to factor in. One was how to structure one class so that everyone in it, as long as they're at like, like I only really teach the, the level one program. I don't, I don't teach past level one, at least not yet. Um, but, uh, but so that everyone in the level one program, no matter what point in the level one program they're at, no matter what entry they're kind of on or what they're working on, they have the ability to get what they're working on, to glean new information, maybe to hear something uh, a new way then they've heard it before um, and that everyone in the room, even if they're a brand new, more or less, you know, brand new person um, who's just, just barely learned the eight move form um, that, that, that they can all get something um, yeah. and how to structure class that way so that it's easy on me, um, but that I can communicate to everybody. And then, you know, the, uh, the other thing that goes right along with that is just what needs to be repeated and how often does it need to be repeated? And when does it bear repeating? <laughs> there's, there's a lot of things that, um, that you can, you know, you can tell someone and you think, okay, well, they should know this now, but you, you really, you kind of have to go over it and over it and over it and over it and over it before it really sinks in that like, oh no, I, th this is the thing I have to do this. And it can be simple stuff, including like, where they need to stand in relation to you in order to see you, if they're going to watch you do the form and, uh, and the, those kinds of things 
can really make the difference. Um, Harry, you know, you were talking, of course, the magician uh, was, is aware of his sight lines. Um, but the, uh, uh, it, it, does, it does make a difference, um, you know, for a, an entirely beginner class, I'll stand in a different place in relation to them than I will, um, you know, in a room full of more experienced people and depending, and this goes back to something that was said earlier about learning the form on their own, I'll make sure that I'm standing in relation to people so that once we turn past that first move, they can't see me anymore if it's appropriate for them, you know, where they should be able to do the form on their own, I'll make sure that at a certain point, it gets harder for them to follow along with me while people who are less experienced, it's still easy for them to follow along with me. And so these little things, um, you know, in within the structure of a class longer term, um, like that one might come across in, in a gathering type setting, but some of the repetition stuff, it's just harder to kind of get and uh unless you teach an ongoing class and it's harder you, you don't really see the need for it until until you teach an ongoing class and you see the things that people just consistently struggle with and you find better ways to explain it and better places to introduce it um and you know more way more times uh going over it and you know you just you do it until you find something that works one of the things that I got here as a note is that folks need to hear from multiple sources people. Most people need to hear something about 10 times or more before they can really begin to really ponder or consider it. They actually need to hear something about, especially in today's world. And it's gotten worse because of the amount of blasting from media from your phone and your computer screen and your TV and all at the same time, of course. The, uh, I mean, now I'm on all three. I've got a computer there, a screen up there, the phone up here. Anyway, you get the idea. The, uh, and so they have to hear something about 10 times before it really starts to get in where they start to really go, huh, okay, I keep hearing that. And, and that their mind starts to work it, work and, and to try to gather, try to get what that's all about and that kind of thing or take it in in a way that's substantial. Ideally to learn um, that we, there's the idea that we learn by senses, that we either do learn by seeing, hearing, feeling, doing, or mentally processing, right? Making it cognizant. And so part of what I try to do when I'm teaching is to have people see, hear, feel, and do the thing, figuring the, cogniz the, the cognitive part will come in there along with all of that. And I try to make sure they're actually hitting all of those learning modalities. Um, so that way they're much more likely to pick up on it at a certain level. Any other thoughts, comments? Well, I, um, I, I do that, you know, try to incorporate using all the senses, but I say, um, when, when you're beginning, there's, there's a lot to learn because there's a lot involved in, and Tai Chi, but I introduced, you know, following along, explain the principles so they understand the relaxed breathing and just the, the relaxed whole body and connectedness and explain the, the importance of the postures and then go over these different issues, but um, try to focus on one or two at a time so they they're exposed to all the different ways to learn and the, the facets of learning, but not 
too much and 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 say you you know we will work on this and then you work on having everything work together without having to think about oh this is how I do that and I'm supposed to be doing this and here's my next hand position to just try to get things to melt together eventually mm -hmm. yeah yes So a quick word from our sponsor uh, again uh, the for the for the gathering tai chi gathering.com uh, hopefully you can make it this year but if not then you'll see it and know that it's something on there and put it on your calendar for next year the um, and then and then it'll be that first full weekend in June uh, and then unless that's the current schedule the, uh, the other one is a clearmartialarts.com, the free practical guide to internal power. And that, that will get you involved in some of those things. And if you're wanting to know more about the levels of Tai Chi, that'll be the Tai Chi roadmap.com. Cool. All right. So almost done for the day. Just got a little bit more from you for you. And it might take a lot more for folks to learn a lot uh, much more for folks to learn or get if what is being taught or said sounds too much like what you already know or think you know the mind has a tendency in most people it has a tendency to be like oh i know that and then to shut it out not realizing no there were some things there you didn't know it wasn't peanut brittle it was peanut butter and, and what I mean by that is it's close enough that they heard peanut butter and then they, oh, okay. Uh, or they were, hey, would you like some peanut butter? No, I don't want any peanut butter. No, I was asking if you wanted some peanut brittle, a piece of candy, right? Or uh, the, uh, or do you want peanut uh, bits for your packing? And a lot of people, they'll hear that peanut butter and then they don't hear the rest. And I'm using that as an example. It may or may not be a good one. But the uh, uh, the point being that it's really easy to kind of hear something and go, yeah, I, I, I got what that's about. And really they were making a point or there was something in there that kind of gets easily glossed over or missed. Um, another one that makes it hard for learning is if you can't personally relate to it <clears throat> in any way, it has a tendency to, to not make any sense. And so one of the things that's important from the learning standpoint that ideally all of you would and, and us all of us would do is to take whatever it is and go how can I relate to that I tend to look for if I'm having a hard time understanding something I start going through and I don't just go well I need to try to relate to that in some way and then make up something I really start going is it kind of like this in a way like da, da, da. is it like that is it like that and I start boom 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 until I hit one where they go yeah it's like that and then I go, okay, um, you know, and, and that kind of a thing. And that's if I'm really having a hard time getting it. Um, the, uh, and so I try to relate to it in some way. It is much, it, it's much more difficult to learn or get if it affects or changes your current worldview. And this is one of the hard ones. And it's one that you see a lot of in today's society. People will come across with something and people will automatically out of hand, oh no, I'm not even gonna consider that. And it's like, okay, your worldview is limited to these things. And so this is outside of that. And you don't want to, and, and they're very married to whatever it is they're thinking about. And so ideally, 
Now, there's a difference between I expand my worldview to get an understanding and I agree with everything else that's going on. And so I think a lot of times when people go, I want to understand where they're coming from, they think that means I have to agree with where they're coming from or they're too busy going, no, 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 you know, I'm not going to agree with that. And it really, and I know most of you have seen that are on the call with me here, you've seen me do this where I'm thinking, okay, so where they're really coming from is from this and this and this and this. And I don't mean where they're coming from, like what the ramifications of that are or what that translates to in practice. I'm trying to understand why would they hold that view? Why would they think about it this way? Why is this their preferred approach or the way that they're thinking about things? If you're talking politics, and I want to be very careful how I say this, whatever position they've got, I might be going, oh, what that translates to in the real world is like lots of terrible things. And I go, why are they holding that view? Is it because they want all these terrible things? Sometimes, unfortunately, that's the case. And then I'm like, okay, I don't know if I want to deal with the person. But a lot of times they're holding that view and they've got that for another for some other reason. And I'll tell you that most people's political view today, it's based on fear of the other side and what the ramifications of the other side are and what has been dramatized or blown up about what the other side's views become when they're actually fully realized. And that fear oftentimes is mis is unfounded um, or at least that's not where that person's coming from in the way it would be like saying if somebody was an extreme liberal that means they want to do all these things that would destroy the country and everything else and it's like that i don't you know that's not where the people that are intelligent that are saying this are coming from and the same thing if they were extremely conservative and you went really they want you know uh, this all this stuff to go this way and do they really, and the question always becomes, why do they believe that? But it's true on more than one level and in more than one belief system for there can be problems to that. And what you want to do to, to reach a higher level, to reach a master's level mind is to be able to wrap your mind around the whole thing, be able to get why and why somebody would hold this view that would be productive and a good reason for holding that view understanding what the ramifications of that view in its good sense might be, understanding what the ramifications of that view in its negative sense can be, um, and being able to really expand to that. And then making your choices very, very much from, a, from an extremely informed viewpoint and without it having so many, for lack of a better word, um, People have a tendency, and this is what it's used for in political situations, to go with slogans, whatever the slogan is. And the problem is, is that most of the time the slogan has been created to get people to follow whatever it is kind of blindly. Because you can make the slogan sound like the best thing since sliced bread um, or since the wheel was invented. And really, the agenda behind that saying can be quite a bit different quite a bit worse, quite a bit more self-serving to the powers that be, whatever it is. And people are just following that saying or that thing. And if you think about what do they mean when they say that, ask them, what do you mean when you say that? And a lot of times what you'll get is you'll go, uh, I'll say this way. If you're a, a non-political 
reporter and you're just trying to get where somebody's coming from and you have a, an extreme conservative and you have an extreme liberal and you take their statement and you go, what do you mean by that? Most of the time, what they say they mean by that would make the other side's eyes cross like there is no way that's what that means. It really means this other horrific stuff. It can't mean what they think it means, but they think it means that thing they said. And usually they're not going to go, oh, what it means is world domination through horrific things. It means good stuff for them, whatever that is, right? And you go, I don't know how you got that from that. But that's different than the thoughts they actually hold. Just because the ramifications of somebody who's maybe using that as a form of manipulation has some ulterior and, and likely not necessarily bad, but not good motives does not mean the person on the receiving end who's spouting that at the consumer level is coming from that same place because they're not. They're not even in the same position as the other person, the vast majority of the time. The, uh, and so they've got the way that they would put that across. And for whatever reason, they've actually bought that. And what you want to be able, what we want to be able to do, and if you're listening, you can take this or leave it, is I want to be able to look at the whole picture really well and to make up my own mind. Now, I'll tell you what it does for me is that when it comes to like a lot of political stuff and all that, I end up being, it's beyond being an independent. It's more like I don't agree with any of it because I realize what the manipulations that are at play on all the different levels are. And I, want, I go, I don't want any of that. Um, you know, I want, I want what the constitution says if you take it at its face value, more or less for words, you know, freedom, uh, uh, what is it, life, freedom, and the pursuit of happiness, this kind of thing. And then those are not defined. That's gonna be true to the individual and there's gonna be, and as long as you're not hurting anybody else to do it, there's going to be a lot more freedom in that um, in a certain kind of way. Uh, but how you, when you find somebody that's got a very political bent of one sort or another, their definition of those terms is typically going to be very, very different. Ideally as a learner, teacher, and a thinking more advanced mind, we're trying to be able to take in the whole picture and understand the good parts, the bad parts, the how that gets interpreted, how that gets exercised or, or played out, and then being able to make decisions from that. It will tend to make you, in today's world, stand apart from most of the rest of society, for better or for worse, um, because most people aren't coming from that place. But unfortunately, I think it's because they've been, I don't wanna say brainwashed, but, but led down a path and they don't understand how much that path they've been led down or, and they run right smack into their fear of what's gonna happen if they don't follow that path. And so it's tough. Anyways. Um, See, I'm yeah. really glad you brought this up because it, it actually brings up another point uh, about my teaching style that I've learned over the years is that we do not let Sifu in front of the beginners. That's an important teaching style that we that we have developed <laughs> um uh he's uh but he's he's got great instruction uh but the but the the, the, the may not be appropriate for beginner level tai chi students <laughs> where is that the uh okay so uh let's see here the other one is if you already have very ingrained habits it can take a lot more to learn or get so one of the things i look at and try to do is to 
make and get an understanding of what my habits are and why they are that way. And I try to put habits in place that are time conservative, that are expedient for getting things done and that kind of a thing with an open eye towards could I do this better, easier, faster, somehow get it done with less or no effort on my part and those kinds of things. But then I look at other habits about, and these are thinking habits as well as your physical habits, as well as other stuff and go, okay, is that habit causing me to look at certain things in certain kinds of ways? And I don't review it all the time every day. If you did, you'd get nothing done. But I do look at that stuff and go, are these somehow limiting my ability and my advancement in terms of my own mind, in terms of my own body, in terms of my own emotional self and those kinds of things because I don't want to be impeded by habits and certainly not bad habits, right? And that kind of a thing. And so always looking for a more productive and better, but again, not so much so that it's like hunt, 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 and you're never employing anything, but enough to where you're getting uh, the benefits of being a bit more open-minded, open-minded commonly gets associated with naive and stupid and gullible and those kind of things. Not that kind of open-minded, open-minded and discriminatory intelligently, but it also means being uh, like in our political system, ideally what this means is good educated argument. And I don't mean argument like, rah, 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 rah. I mean, argument like debate and really not with the debate being, I have to win at all costs, but with the goal of being getting to a better place and a better understanding and a better, you know, they like chocolate, I like vanilla. Um, they like cars, I like trucks. They like, you know, whatever it is. Um, that doesn't mean that theirs is there's anything wrong with theirs at all. It just means pref I prefer this. Um, but being able to do that. And then if I go, Hey, my, whatever flavor I like or whatever car I like is not the best one for the task that I'm up to, or it's not that if it was food wise, it's not really the healthiest for you. Is there a healthier option that's better for me? Is there a vehicle that's more suited to the task I'm trying to accomplish those kinds of things. And so really being willing to review and look at that as opposed to um, being just steadfast in whatever it is that I have decided is the way that it is, which then blocks your learning and or advancing and or um, as time goes on and more, more, you know, whatever is new that's going to become the thing. I don't need to be an early adapter, but I don't want to be the guy still running a horse and buggy when everybody else is doing flying cars. You know, if I'm trying to get from here to 500 miles from here, uh, today, you know, it's, it's, there's an, there's a, and I don't want it to be that I'm the last guy that leave that, that left the horse and buggy behind for that either. It's that if I start seeing cars and I start realizing what cars do, I want to be, you know what, I can use a car that, that'll get me from here to there a lot faster, a lot easier, a lot more expediently. Um, and those kinds of things. Um, and so you have to be willing to look at, at stuff. And I do that even in curriculum very regularly. Okay, this is why I'm doing this. This is what I like about this. I'm hearing a counterpoint. One of the things that's probably odd for people and they tend to assume that I'm not very knowledgeable when this happens. 
is that they'll have a counterpoint and I'll be like, okay, tell me more. I want to hear this. And so you're doing what exactly? And why are you doing that? And I'll, and I'll, and I will look, study up on what they're saying, unless I see something in it where I'm going, that's just bad. And I, and I'm not, maybe not because of some other prejudice I have, but I'm going, you can't tilt your head over to the side and look like the hunchback in Notre Dame and have, um, and be double weighted in your legs and, and look like you're, you're crippled up and everything else. And tell me that those are great body mechanics. Um, if you're, if you've got something, if you've been in a car wreck or you've been, or you were born a certain, you know, with your body in a certain kind of condition, maybe you have to do that. But if you're an able-bodied and everything is equal, that's not your better, you know, slouching over, you know, somebody slouching over and then when they're walking, they kind of have this thing going on. It's like, that's not good posture. That's not going to be beneficial to you for what you're up to. And, and so I'm going to be pretty quick to not continue down that road because I've studied that already and I know, right? But if it's something where somebody's taking a Tai Chi point and they're going, well, really this thing is getting into this and I've not heard that before and I'm not seeing something that's a red flag immediately, I'm like, by all means, tell me more. And I, and I gain new information on a regular basis doing that because I'm open to hear and see and feel what they're talking about. And I don't do it with the goal of, of, of discriminating against it right away. I take it in its full entirety and then make the decision. That way I can, I can have intelligent um, growth ongoing. All right. Um, at our Clear Tai Chi International Family Gathering, our teachers will teach different topics from or related to our curriculum. Practitioners and students will benefit from hearing this information from another perspective and from a different voice and said in the way that they're going to say it. This is a yearly annual event held the first weekend of June in Maryville, Tennessee, just outside of Knoxville. For more information, go to TaiChiGathering.com. We hope to see you there. Uh, we really do hope to see you there. And a word from our sponsor, and that's kind of what I just gave you anyways. And then remember the free practical guide to internal power is available at clearmartialarts.com. And if you want to know about levels of Tai Chi in terms of from beginner to really advanced, that would be the Tai Chi roadmap at taichiroadmap.com. Uh, okay, any other thoughts, questions today? I've, I've said everything I got, so anything else? Oh, okay. Uh, on the screen, so. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't know if I was the only one. Um, I just I, that that last thing, uh, that last piece that you said, uh, uh, you know, spoke to me, and and I think you're you're absolutely right, and and uh, and that we as teachers should be. Uh, uh, well, I think I, I think there's a lot of implications to uh, to what you said. And one of the things that kind of struck me as I was listening to you is that um, uh, that that we don't really, as students or as teachers, really um, kind of understand things until they resonate with us personally, until we can relate to them. And so, uh, you know, we as teachers do need to be able to relate to our students' problems. And sometimes that's not a problem with the material. Sometimes that's a matter of perspective. 
And it's not always a problem. It's just where are they coming from right now? And can you relate to that? Or can you find an example that helps them relate to the material based on based on what you know whatever their uh whatever they they might be thinking about or whatever framework they might have and that's really what as a teacher what it comes down to is just knowing your students and talking to them and and getting you know a better sense of what brought them in the door and you know what they want from the tai chi class and that may change over time as they see more and oftentimes it does uh, especially in clear tai chi as they see more they they want more and new things from it but the uh but what what they want right now um it's important that you that you know that and where they're coming from and uh and that you're really speaking to that and that you're not trying to teach them something that they're not after and trying to like force a square peg into a round hole um and so the other thing that i would challenge the other teachers on the call uh or anyone listening who who happens to be a teacher who's who's listening to the podcast to think about is what are your favorite things to teach that don't really do your students a lot of good and that you might be better off not sharing like what examples do you love that really resonated with you somehow but that your students just don't seem to quite get um and and can you you know figure out better ways to teach those pieces uh that that do land with more of your students um and that's that's a challenge that I'll leave the other teachers on the call with. But, um, but one of the best ways to do that is to go watch other teachers teach. And so, um, you know, come to the Tai Chi gathering, see everybody do their thing. Celebrate the sameness, celebrate the, 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 the diversity. Matt, you still there? Internet, I'm in one zone of like internet that's like roving around this little area here. Um, the, uh, but yeah, go to, go to Tai Chi gathering.com and sign up uh, or, or just check it out um, for whatever, you know, whatever the upcoming one is, we're going to be doing them year after year after year, because I can already tell it's going to be a, a great event and it's going to grow. Um, and so come join us. All right, guys, lady, um, any other final thoughts? Okay. Uh, have a great Friday. If there's anybody that wanted to talk to me about anything, stay on after the call. Everybody out there, keep on training and, and keep on keeping on. And we'll talk. We'll, we'll hopefully get to work with you, see you, um, hear from you at some point here. And then if there's anything you'd like us to talk about, make sure that you uh, somehow notify us or that you'd like to hear us discuss whatever topic or subject you would like us to discuss and that kind of thing. And we'll try to make it happen for you. And um, until next time. Good discussion. Thank you, Sifu, everyone. Bye. Looking forward to seeing everybody. Looking forward to seeing all of you. Have a good weekend. You too. And now, a word from our sponsor. What is internal power? Most people only understand external exerting power, which is another way of saying tense muscle strength. Bigger, more tense muscles equal more power. That's external power. Internal power comes from pretty much anything except tensing your muscles. There are many sources of internal power and tapping into them is more of a mind skill than anything else. This is where the phrase mind over matter comes from. My name is Richard Clear and internal power is what I do. 
Students come to me for the mind over muscle secrets of internal power that are hard to find anywhere else. Over the past 40 years, I figured out how to get students on the fast track to effortless power. I created a one-of-a-kind online program that is getting such amazing results for my students that I put a money-back guarantee on it. Find out more at internalpowerkeys.com. That's internalpowerkeys.com. Thank you.